Critic Scott Weinberg of eFilmCritic.com calls this film a limp and nearly invisible female flip on the police academy conceit, and he's seen ferns with more personality. Letterboxd user Dan Gorman calls it a hangout, low-stakes, gets-by-on-charm-and-casting-alone movie. And he re-reviews it a year later, saying, I don't care that it doesn't make me laugh out loud, I just love watching it. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Feds. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Hello, Starfighters. It's Rune Childhood's time. <laughs> it's Rune Childhood's time. It's Rune Childhood's time. What is that? What it's is this? What is time. happening? What's going on now? I, I'm going on like three and a half hours of sleep. Oh, so. okay. I thought you were going to say three and a half like cups of coffee or something because that was... No. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Nope. Three and a half hours of sleep. And yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Uh, Dan. Happy to be here. I'm happy for us to be here, too. I feel like uh, the past week has just kind of like sizzled by in a way. I feel like that's the best way to put it because it hasn't been fast. It hasn't been slow. But I feel like there's been just kind of like, I don't know, like a, a little bit of a surge to it. And maybe that's just me. There's certainly, you know, uh, just a lot going. I don't know if, if it's just it, like, I don't it, know what it, it is. The best, uh, I guess, analogy for the past week or or weeks, I would say, is the uh, the scene in Twister where with the cows. So oh, yeah, we've got cows where you just see we got every, cows. Just everything, everything. I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. Uh, yeah. So like everything just kind of spinning and swirling, and I hear one you. minute it, there's a di- there's just a different thing flying past your face. Yeah. Every minute, and um, yeah. But you know what? Here we are. This is ruined childhoods. I'm John. That's Dan. We're talking about you know some cult and classic movies, though. This one really. Is a no, neither it, of the above. Um, I don't even it's know. It's just kind of excess. It's kind of like if you think of the premise of the movie Twins, where like Danny DeVito is just supposed to be the just kind well, of the excess. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get into it. We'll uh, you know. Oh no, I'm yeah. just saying. But I feel like Feds is just one of those like remnants from the '80s that doesn't really have a cult. Like a lot of these movies have a cult around. Here's them. an interesting thing about Feds, Dan. I think that we're the first podcast in history to talk about it. I like to try to do a little bit of research before, uh, you know, we we record these episodes and see if there are people talking about movies like this. I mean, you know, clearly Silence of the Lambs, everybody who has a movie podcast has talked about Silence of the Lambs. Do people talk about that one? (laughs) Is that one that people know? Yeah. They heard of it. And it, yeah, yeah, and uh and feds in my in my looking around didn't didn't come up at all. And this is of course February, our celebration of the movies uh featuring the Federal Bureau of Investigation. 
Yes, be they serious uh, thrillers like Silence of the Lambs yeah. or not. Right. Like Feds. And yeah, uh, but before we get into Feds, I wanted to share some personal news. Uh, Dan, you already know this. I'm telling our audience, but I yes. uh, I have recently been uh, offered the position at the Northwest Film Center here in Portland, Oregon, uh, to be the Associate Director of Creative Programs. And the Northwest Film Center has been around since 71. Yeah, just celebrated its 50th anniversary about a year ago. And uh, in its current like iteration, it's been around for about 40 years. I think that it, for the first few years, was, you know, a little different. And, you know, there's been a lot of people who have definitely gotten their start taking classes there or going to screenings there, like Gus Van Sant is one of them. And uh, Gus Van Sant was actually an awardee in last year's uh, Cinema Unbound Awards, which is an award ceremony that we put on to honor the people who are kind of making strides and being forward thinking in cinematic storytelling and really thinking outside the bun. And uh, yeah, Gus Van Sant was an honoree last year. And I wanted to let everybody know if you happen to be in the Portland area on March 8th, we are having the third annual Cinema Unbound Awards in person at the Portland Art Museum in one of the ballrooms. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to list off the honorees. We've got Carrie Brownstein, uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green, who uh, a lot of people would know he just directed King Richard. Uh, ah. Yeah, we have uh, Arthur Lewis. We have Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, I'm sure that a, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with the two of them, responsible for the Lego movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. They would produce that one. Uh, they directed 21, 21 and 22 Jump Street. Uh, they are responsible for shows like The Last Man on Earth and uh, Clone High and just a ton of other TV shows and and um, they just produced uh, The Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix, which is delightful. Right. Uh, artist and filmmaker Shireen Nishat, who's an Iranian uh, artist and filmmaker, and she uh, has a, a new movie that's out this year that looks absolutely fantastic. And uh, Roger Ross Williams, who did the movie uh, Life Animated, and um, it is a documentary filmmaker. And to go along with those honorees, we have presenters. So some of the presenters are Jeff Goldblum and Jeff Goldblum's co-star in Jurassic Park, Will Smith. And Ibram in X- Jurassic Park? Not Jurassic Park, Independence Day. <laughs> Independence Day. <laughs> my, my brain was just going on like autopilot. Uh, Ibram X. Kendi uh, is going to be presenting for <gasps> Roger Ross Williams. Uh, oh. Isabella Rossellini, who's uh, she's presenting for Shireen Nishat, uh, and uh, Tasha Smith is uh, going to be presenting for Arthur Lewis. So it's really, really exciting. Uh, if you happen to be in Portland or the Portland area around March 8th, uh, come and check it out. It's going to be a really wild experience. I'm doing a lot of uh, pretty out there things to kind of make this a a very different type of award show experience. And I want to let everybody know that they can, uh, they can go to NW film, like Northwest film, uh, org and, uh, get, get yourself a ticket to come. And, uh, that's the day before John's birthday. That's so true. bring him a 
bringing my cupcake. <laughs> and uh, speaking of delightful treats, Dan, I have a one more thing about Silence of the Lambs. Do you oh, think cool. that a single movie has done more to raise the profile of fava beans and Chianti? <laughs> you know what's funny is I was I that it's so funny I didn't like write that down or anything, but that definitely like crossed my mind more for the fava beans. Really, like yeah. I thought I was I was watching the movie. I was like, I don't think I knew what a fava bean was until I saw this. I'm sure that most people now associate fava beans with Hannibal Lecter and. Chianti, like, I mean, of course people know Chianti, but the association, the way that he delivers that line, Chianti, like, it, yeah, yeah, it, it's, I, yeah, there's so many iconic lines in in the movie. Most of them, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, oh, yeah, delivered. of course, yeah. You know, I also had a one more. I had a one more thing. Let's hear I had it. A couple of one more things. Uh, so first of all, I want, I, we missed, uh, we kind of missed the, I think the silence of the lambs kind of marked our three years, uh, Did it really? three years of, <laughs> of root, yeah, our, our first episode premiered January 28th, 2019. No way. So, three uh, years. Yeah. So three, three years. Woo, wow. <laughs> and... There, uh, I got the button on the oh, first try. I was like, I was like, I, where's the sound effect? I'm like, if he's got the sound effect, he's gonna, he's gonna play the sound I effect. I always hit the wrong one. I always hit, and that's the opposite. That's never the wrong one. <laughs> Even when it's the wrong one, it's ironically right. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so um, just kind of wanted to uh, acknowledge oh, that's that. That's great. And, uh, yeah. And then my other, uh, my one more thing was imagining a Robert Eggers directed Manhunter starring Robert Pattinson as Graham and Willem Dafoe as Lecter. Ooh, interesting. Willem Dafoe would be a really good Lecter. Willem Dafoe. But the thing is, but the thing is you take a, you take one look at him and be like, that guy's not a psychiatrist. He's a cannibal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um hmm, i wonder who the cannibal is how about the guy who looks like he would eat people yeah i'm i'm at willem dafoe i mean that's pro- that's a safe bet right yeah yeah willem dafoe is so amazing and i, I love like one of those there's like one of those i don't know if it was like a facebook thing recently and it was like if you could only watch the filmography of one actor for the rest of your life who would it be and i swear one of the first names that crossed my mind was willem dafoe because i'm like that's you you're running the gamut there you got everything from like fucking the florida project to aquaman and yeah it's interesting nymphomaniac I, and platoon and i want to say uh my mind first went to somebody like Tom Cruise because oh. because you get you know of course you get your your action movies but then you get things like Risky Business you get Magnolia I uh, I don't know I feel like there's a lot of uh you know eyes wide you shut you get Tropic Thunder you get Tropic Thunder yeah I don't know I feel like there's a lot of well, interesting things to explore there the one that I landed on was John Turturro Oh John Turturro is a really good one you get a lot of yeah. Co- you get a lot of Cohen in there. A lot of Cohen, Spike Lee, Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. You get, you get, the, the, you get Transformers. Few, you get some Transformers in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's yeah he's done a, a lot. A lot. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, part of me but also. Man, Willem. 
Willem Dafoe's just will like he's in how many movies each year and oh, like yeah. they just they run the gamut. Right. I mean, that's what that's the thing is that you got to think about people who have done And he doesn't all, age. Well, yes he does. There have been a lot of pictures of young Willem Dafoe going around recently and like video clips yeah, but and stuff it's like, and it's just but like there's hmm, still yeah. But there are some facial features that have just like oh yeah the streets of fire. He like it looks the same. <laughs> you know who another actor who I wouldn't expect to say for something like this, but I think that because he's been in so many different things, I'm also inclined to say somebody like Bruce Willis because you get, of course, your diehards, but then you also get like. Death Becomes Her, you get some Wes Anderson in there, uh, you get The Sixth Sense, like, there's certainly a lot more... Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so, I don't know, I think that, that it, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see the actors who, like, you know, even if they just, like, dip their toe into, like, a certain genre, or, like, worked with a director, like, once or twice, uh, that's kind of a different thing for them, then it gets pretty interesting, well, and yeah, and it's kind of similar. We talked about Ray Fiennes. So, oh yeah, you know, Ray Fiennes working with the Coens and Wes Anderson. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and then but also, and then you get Red Dragon. You get Red Dragon, and then you get Schindler's List. So, yeah, um, yeah, and and you know, I talked about it in the last episode, but I'm getting a little bit closer to actually getting that wood that it were so simple tattoo. Oh, I'm thinking about it. It's Every time you one. watch Hail Caesar. I watched it again the other night and I watched the clip of that scene the other day. Oh, it's, it's, it's always, perfect. always puts a smile on my face. It's perfect. Um, I've got some news things I wanted to mention stuff that I came across today. We're recording this the day before it comes out as assuming I can get my act together to edit it tomorrow. I've got a busy day, <laughs> but uh, Dan, do you know uh, what project Liam Neeson and Seth MacFarlane are working on. Oh, I heard I had heard that Liam Neeson was doing a like a Philip Marlowe thing with, this with is, Neil Jordan. This is but not I don't what I'm talking about. Thing. I'm talking about them. Pos- is it a sequel to A Million Ways to Die in the West? It's Dan. It is. They are in talks of rebooting The Naked Gun. Can you believe that? You know what, John? Let me tell you something. And maybe it's just because we just mentioned the movie, but I thought to myself, oh, God, not Schindler's List. Oh. And I th- think I'd be better with that. So, yeah, the the article that I saw was on IndieWire, and it was basically about how uh, the uh, this project could either, like, you know, it could be the end of him doing action movies because Liam Neeson has is like 70 and he's still he's still doing these like taken type movies. And so he's thinking that it could be like a, a new start for his career um, to be doing this kind of this kind of thing. But I is it, I I don't know how you reboot a parody movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I unless it's unless it's like a Naked Gun style version of like Taken, like basically that whole Liam Neeson subgenre, the Liam Neeson revenge action thriller, yeah, subgenre. I, right. Like if it was a Naked Gun version of that, like if you imagine like 
Frank Drebin as the hero in Taken. Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, I hope that it falls apart <laughs> because it just sounds like a really terrible idea. Um, and, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we are all about reboots and remakes. But I get really skeptical when it comes to something that's a reboot of a parody. That just doesn't feel right to me. And I also feel like the uh, the parody, like the thing that worked about the Naked Gun series of films and also Police Squad is that I think that the time in which they were made, like in the in the 80s and early 90s, it definitely represented a different type of like cop movie or like cop TV show. And I think that to do something like that today is really mm. dicey. We talked about it when we talked about Dirty Harry. Yes. We, we talked about the naked gun. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's a thing that I guess is circulating. Uh, I have one other news thing. Uh, Dan, believe it or not, they're talking about doing a modern day reimagining of Jekyll and Hyde which we have covered on this podcast, believe it or not. Go figure. How many times have they done a modern-day reimagining of Jekyll and Well, Hyde? Dan, take a guess as to who would be the star. Uh, I, take a guess. You'll never to... guess. You'll never guess. Um, but I want you to. Bet Midler. At, not as far off <laughs> that you would think. <laughs> um, I'll give you two, oh. more, two more guesses. Let's let's see two more guesses. So, Bet if Bet Midler with Barbara Streisand. I no, you were closer be... with Bet Midler. I think I was closer with Bet Lily Tomlin. No, they're they're all too old. Sorry. Okay, Eddie Izzard. Oh yeah, your face just lit up. Bet Midler oh. wasn't a bad guess though. No, no, but I definitely wasn't <laughs> thinking in the right direction there. But no, no, no. Eddie no, no. Izzard, just because also like Eddie Izzard as an actor, he's done some he's done some really good work. I believe that uh Eddie Izzard is going with she her pronouns now. Oh I could be mistaken. I, um, I did not get the memo. Oh, so. I, I think I think I read something about it recently, but uh I think that it's a really fascinating look at the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or just Jekyll and Hyde story as it yeah. were. And uh, to incorporate an actor like Eddie Izzard is a really, it, it definitely tells you what kind of approach it's going to take. I mean, I'm, just, I'm glad it's someone British. And it's somebody who's really fascinating and has been very fascinating for a long time. And yeah. I'd say, like, hasn't been as present lately. You know, I feel like the early 2000s were definitely more of, like, a time where I was hearing a lot about Eddie Izzard. And, well, yeah, Dress to Kill Dress to Kill was, like, was huge. And, you know, you see Eddie Izzard pop up in Ocean's 12? One of the Ocean's movies. But... Certainly not like in any starring roles, at least to my knowledge. I remember uh, she was in, and yeah, correct. Um, she was in the movie called The Cat's Meow, which was about, uh, it, it kind of came up a little bit when Mank was, was a okay. thing. And um, 
because uh, oh god, what's her face? The character, the person that Amanda Seyfried plays in Mank, Kirsten oh. Dunst played her in the yeah. Cat's Meow, and it's like they're all. It's like all these like hot, like William Randolph Hearst has on like a boat, and, gotcha. and Eddie Izzard played Charlie Chaplin. Huh. Okay. It's it's worth checking out. Uh, I I can I'll I'll check if it's uh, streaming anywhere. But yeah, the the cat's meow. Really, uh, you know, f- uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, made it, actually. really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, d- definitely a good one. You know, especially if you're checking out uh, Bogdanovich's work as he passed not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, definitely worth adding to the uh, to the queue. So to yeah, speak. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So let's see. The uh, the cat's meow. I see, all that keeps coming up is cats. No, <laughs> cat's meow is not. It's on Tubi and oh. IMDb TV. Okay. So there you go. So so there's that. So there's that. Dan, uh, did you have any uh, news bits you wanted to bring up, or should we move on to Feds? I'm I I'm excited to move on to Feds and hear a a synopsis. Oh yeah, feds. okay. Uh, so okay, this is the point where we're just gonna like break right into it. All right, so in this niche version of the Odd Couple, two female trainees attempting to become FBI special agents need to work together to help each other through the program, despite the odds being stacked against them. Ellie DeWitt is a former military badass who has a hard time with academic learning, and Janice Zuckerman has the opposite problem. She's an absolute bookworm, but she isn't very assertive when it comes to physical force. They help each other come out of their shells and prove their worth as exemplary agents, despite all of the odds being stacked against them. That's my synopsis. I certainly... That's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, everything else is just like set pieces to move things forward but that's essentially it uh if you are hey we talked about 21 jump street this entire thing this entire movie is the training is the montage at the beginning of 21 jump street when they like help each other become better in the police academy program so uh rebecca de mornay is ellie dewitt mary gross is janice zuckerman um and then uh, the only other person you might recognize is Fred Thompson as uh, the like FBI, like main dude. I guess he's the trainee. Yeah, he's like the training the supervisor. supervisor. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have Larry Cedar as Howard Butts, the uh, Bizarro counterpart to our father Howard Weiner, and um, then we have Ken Marshall as Brent Shepard, who's like a multi generational FBI agent. Uh, who is just like, I don't, it's kind of weird because Ellie has like a crush on him, but he's clearly just a total douche. And yeah, I don't know. There's like zero redeeming quality to him. So it, yeah. yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. No. And I, yeah, but, but this movie is, uh, it's fun. You know, it's definitely looked at as being one of those like post police Academy, like, Hey, what else can we do with this kind of thing? But, uh, it definitely is just like, all right, well, let's just kind of get the people there and then we'll figure it out as we go along. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I would say the, the, the most enjoyment factor out of watching it was just that it was one of those, like it was an eighties movie. So it felt very comfortable yes. to, to watch. Uh, um, what I would like to do here, John, <clears throat> I would like to read word for word, 
The entire review of Feds published in the New York Times, October 29th, 1988, by Janet Maslin. <sighs> because it's 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 not as much a review of the movie as it is a uh document of documentation of her experience seeing the movie. Okay. So Feds, a comedy starring Mary Gross and Rebecca De Mornay as two FBI agents in training, opened yesterday at the Criterion Center and other theaters. The Criterion was not the best place to see it, however. The theater advertised a 12.40 p.m. show, but patrons arriving at that time found the film had already begun. Very little seemed to have happened. Miss Gross and Miss De Mornay were seen going shopping together, sitting through classes, fraternizing with fellow students, and mastering such tactics as wielding guns, slapping on handcuffs, and kneeing antagonists in the groin. Then, at 1.25, the film ended. The audience marched down to the lobby. And by the way, sorry, I read that then at 125, the film ended. I thought that was the end of the review yeah. and I was like, genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's more and it's worth it. The audience marched down to the lobby where it was told that the projectionist had misread his schedule and had started the film 40 minutes early. The next <laughs> show would not be until 2.30. A ticket taker assured irate patrons that if they went back upstairs, the film would begin again at 1.30. By 1.45, it was clear this was not to be. The audience returned to the lobby where a manager appeared and declared there would be no show before 2.30 after all. At 1.50, <laughs> it was suggested that the projectionist show the first half hour of the film then rewind it for the 2.30 show. He said that this was impossible. <laughs> Refunds appeared to be the only solution. By 2, the patrons had formed a long line and were beginning to receive their money back. At that point, I left. The film... It now, again, okay. had it ended there. Had it wonderful. ended there. The film itself seemed amiably innocuous, no more or less gripping than the average training manual. Miss Gross and Miss De Mornay appeared to have a friendly rapport. Miss Gross in particular sounded mildly funny as she told offenders they were under arrest in that high, wispy voice of hers. Fred Dalton Thompson was also good as the student's gruff, laconic instructor, at one point summoning them in the middle of the night for a training exercise in which he would play a terrorist, take a hostage, and be hunted down by teams of students. Not until 1.24 or so, when the chase concluded... Or sorry, not until an hour and 24 minutes or so when the chase concluded, was it evident that this was meant to be the film's exciting climactic episode. <laughs> Feds will no doubt be available on video cassette very soon. <laughs> and that is the end. Okay, I have one question for you, Dan. Yes. Is Janet Maslin my new favorite writer, period? <laughs> question mark? <laughs> and did she become so with... A non-review of feds? I think that that's amazing. Yes. And honestly, it's like, how do you really review a movie like this? Because it's just like, all right, look, if you're really going to just review it at face value, it's it's just not going to be interesting at all. But if you talk about your experience, uh, like the, the wild experience of watching feds, then uh, yes, absolutely very interesting. Right. but it, And it's funny that it's like, it's all of this over over feds <laughs> yeah yeah like i remember going to the movies once in new york and like there was a projection issue with like inception 
and we had to come back for a later showing. But that was Inception. Yeah, no, Feds. Feds is Feds. And, you know, I agree with her. I remember watching this as a kid over and over again. It must have just been on. Really? It must have been. Well, yeah, I think it was just like on some cable channel and it was probably cheap for them to get and they just showed it all the time. And I remember Mary Gross and loving her character. She was so, I don't know, just like enjoyable for like the young me. <laughs> like that's exactly what like I found funny. And and there's a lot of funny things. I mean, I certainly didn't understand a lot of what was going on, especially when she like gets drunk and is like trying to pick up the guy at that bar. But oh, like yeah. uh <clears throat> It was that part was hilarious. Yeah, it's enjoyable nonetheless. Oh, sorry, hilarious in context. Yeah, in context. <laughs> but uh, you know, and then of course there's like a clothing trying on montage, which feels just very much just like you're not doing yourself any favors if you're kind if you're trying to be like a kind of a feminist movie. You're just hurting yourself by having there be this kind of hysteria over clothes. Well, it's interesting that you say that be, uh, about trying to be a feminist movie, because I feel like it, it very much was like an opportunity to. Sure. As Silence of the Lambs was. Yeah. But I, I don't think they necessarily tried to be a feminist movie. I It feels like it was a bunch of, I don't know, we got this script, we get we got this going on here. They probably like just slapped a director onto it and were like, here, this go is the make only this movie. movie this director has ever done. I mean, was he done a lot of TV? I think directing this might be the only thing that they've ever directed. Like, um, directed by Daniel Goldberg, written by Daniel Goldberg and Len Blum. Uh, oh, so he co-wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. So Daniel Goldberg. Uh, let's see. Director. Uh, so let's see. Produced a lot of movies, like uh, definitely worked with Todd Phillips a lot. So the Hangover movies, Due Date, School for Scoundrels, Old School. Um, then you go back and then you've got, uh, you know, producer for Stripes and Meatballs and stuff like that. Oh, because this was an Ivan Reitman yes. uh, production. Yes. yes, it had a very Ivan reitman score. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, a couple things about the score, actually. Um, the score, which was by uh, Randy Edelman, uh, mm. is is definitely a a score that I'm very familiar with because I own three copies of this soundtrack on vinyl. What? <laughs> I believe that what? I I believe that I used to have more of them. I think I went to like Amoeba or something, and I found just like a pile of like Feds soundtracks on vinyl and i bought all of them <laughs> and this has not come up once <laughs> um yeah i had no idea you had this connection to this movie yeah <laughs> um wow. I, let me see if i have a, a picture of it i'll post it onto um well i mean i could always take a picture of them but uh definitely post it to the ruined childhoods instagram account uh at Ruined Childhoods pod. And um, yeah, uh, here, I'm just going to show you over the. Uh... Yeah, sure enough. Sure enough. Yep. And those um, are three. They look in good condition, too. I doubt that any of them have ever met the needle of a turntable. 
So yeah, Randy. What, you don't think they were owned by people who just like would sit there for hours and you know like the, the, smoke weed and listen to the Fed yeah. soundtrack and break down every every chord? Yeah, change. right. So um, to be clear, uh, Randy Edelman also worked with Ivan Reitman on Ghostbusters Two, Twins, and Kindergarten Cop. I was gonna say it sounded like it's it had the Kindergarten Cop ish, which is a very familiar feel 90s family comedy yeah i he also did um or contributed to i should say uh beethoven last of the mohicans the mask uh gettysburg my cousin Vinny, while you were sleeping uh six days seven nights shanghai noon billy madison angels in the outfield ed tv yeah so randy edelman worked in the 90s oh yeah that yeah, he is living comfortably, well, assuming and, he's and still 80s, alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, looks like it from Patterson, New Jersey. Nice S- uh, set piece of the movie Patterson by ah. Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> Delightful, <laughs> starring Adam Driver as a bus driver. That's oh, Adam Driver as a bus I driver know. in the movie. It's like, Patterson who do we get to play this Patterson. driver? How about Adam Driver? Mini Driver was busy. Mini driver was busy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, they 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 needed they needed a bigger driver for bus. That's true. That is very true. <laughs> Not a mini driver. Yeah. You needed maxi driver, and that's when you get yourself Adam driver. Oh. So boy. uh. Yes. Anyway, so back to okay. feds. So uh, yeah. There's there's funny moments. It's. Yeah, the action to it is not very action-packed. It's just more like clever. Well, it's I don't know. It's just very by the like it's it it's a very formulaic. Yeah. Okay, now we have the now we have the scene where the recruits try to act like they're real FBI agents yeah. and they do this and you know, then we have the yeah, it's very formula Kind of buddy like training, police academy esque, right? And they keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Um, you know the same kind of jokes over and over again, and you know it's the it's a perfect movie to have on in the background while you're doing something else. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's the perfect movie. To well, have I don't on know if the, the perfect movie, but like I. If you want to put something on that you do not have to pay attention to, this is this is certainly it's a, it's, it's up there. fine, and it's like, is it is it even ninety minutes? Like, oh, it, I doubt it. It's it it just I think it just hits that mark, and it, it is, is exactly ninety minutes, Dan. I, but, which is what this movie should be, yeah. and that like I worry. I, I, this is, it's the type of thing where, like, if they made it today, it would be two hours and 10 minutes, and there'd be like just long, elaborate chase sequences. So, well, might have made it better if there were some actual chase sequences. So, well, it might have made it better if there was like a story or con- like the conflict was really just, but even the, like, the conflict probably should have been the sexism. In the FBI in the right. 80s. Yeah. But even that, it was more of just like the conflict was their their own like skill sets sure. and the limitations of yeah. them. Yeah. And that's why I was saying, like, I was watching this entire movie, and the entire plot of this movie, minus the, you know, uh the sexism and misogyny that that's part of this, uh, 
is accomplished in a like two minute montage tops in 21 Jump Street where I one of them is like, you know, getting an A on a test. The other one gets an F and he's like, hey, you're pretty good at this, huh? And the other one is like uh, really good at shooting a gun. And he's like, hey, you're pretty good at this, huh? And then they become best friends and they and then they uh, they graduate. Yeah. Yeah. But and then we, yeah, and and then that's it, and then we have the rest of the movie. So, or it, and then I you mean, have the rest also, of a really fun movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but also you could look at the whole at like the stripes setup, sure. mm-hmm. which to me is like the stripes. Stripes to me is it's like the comedic uh, Full Metal Jacket. Um, yeah, in that in that the the training sequence is so much more engaging. And fun. I mean, well, you know, not that any of Full Metal Jacket is really fun, but right. the the training sequence is the highlight. It's the part of the movie that's that's more memorable, whereas the rest of it. And I have to say, like the second half of Full Metal Jacket uh, has definitely appreciated in yeah. value in my eyes. Like, not that I ever I was never like, oh, I barely remember it. Stanley Kubrick. What a hack. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's my favorite director of film. Um and so so stripes to me was very much like ah oh, the training part was so funny and there's all this stuff and like john candy mud wrestling and all that uh and like you know sergeant hulka getting blown out of the tower and then there's the rest of the movie that's just like ah oh, this is there cuz we felt it needed to be there right but feds could have used something like that or something like in like police academy the 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 whole standoff with the with the riot cuz yeah. the thing the thing you have is you really don't have any villains in these in these movies no the villain in this movie really is just the you know the the Brent Shepherd character the the asshole who you know, at the end of it, he's like applauding for them as they get their like special well, award, yeah. which, by the way, they are giving out those diplomas in no real order. They're like going no. in reverse call sheet order. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where, you know, if I, you know, the second to last is uh, Mary Gross and then the last is Rebecca Dumornay. And it's just like, wait a second. Mary Gross's last name is Zuckerman. Literally would be the last person to be in any alphabetical order <laughs> anywhere. Most, most, like, um, unless Alan Zweibel is, uh, is there. Yeah. I don't, I was like. That would be, <laughs> like, I'd like to see those two in a in an alphabetical order lineup. <laughs> and you know what? Oh, you know, I also, I, I thought it was fun, I guess, just because following up on all the Silence of the Lambs stuff. Uh, that there was a, one of the recruits name was, was Graham. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if that was Will, Will Graham? Graham? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. And, and it's funny because this feds and Silence of the Lambs end in a very similar way where it's like them getting their like special agent, you know, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> badge and all that kind of stuff. Except for uh, uh, Zuckerman doesn't get a call from Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> In like Argentina or wherever he's supposed to be, would have been uh, would have been great. I now, mean, this now, does this does predate Silence of the Lambs by a few years, but like it does. I, if I and, could, if I could do like a a a recut of this movie, I'd keep it exactly the same, except at the end, Janice Zuckerman gets a call from Hannibal Lecter, who's gonna who's hello, gonna Janice. who's gonna eat Anthony uh, healed. There's Fred Dalton. Yeah. 
having an old friend for dinner. Yeah, it's like, uh, sorry, I think you have the wrong number. <laughs> do you think at all, do you think that they were trying with her character to kind of capture the magic hooks. of Hooks from Police yeah, Academy? 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. so Mary Gross, she was on Saturday Night Live, and she has this way about her. And it's it's effective, but it's kind of like it's a it's a one note kind of situation. And mm. like I said, you know, watching it as a kid, like it it worked for me. I enjoyed that type of character. I don't think that I really ever identified with like the marine on screen. It was always the like the weirdo. That's who I always, you know, attached myself onto. Well, and and as I, I don't know about for you, but for like for me, uh, you know, being a Jewish kid, uh, you don't you don't see as many, as many Jewish characters and things. As soon as a character had even a Jewish sounding yeah. name, <laughs> it was it was like okay, all right, that's that. I'm in your corner. That's a good point too. I you know I hadn't really considered that. I don't think that that was something that really was a factor for me, as much as like. If there was a character named Jonathan, I was always like, oh, tell me more about this Jonathan character. That's my name. Uh, you know, there just weren't as many of them, I think. Uh, whereas I'm I'm trying yeah. to think of, of characters named Jonathan. I'm drawing yeah. Or like Roman. actors like Jonathan Silverman or something Jonathan like that. Jonathan Price. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Jonathan Silverman was super a Jonathan with a uh, Jewish sounding name. <laughs> That's true. So, Appeals to everybody in our family. Oh, yeah. Big Jonathan Silverman <laughs> fans. And I, well, also, he did Brighton Beach Memoirs. So, like, once you do a Neil Simon, once you do, especially part of the Brighton Beach trilogy. That's the uh, the hat trick right there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, you know, and, yeah. and Rebecca DeMornay, you know, prior to this, Risky Business was kind of the big one. I don't know if she was in anything that was like big. Was Runaway Train. Runaway Train, yeah. Not the Soul Asylum song. <laughs> uh, but no, Runaway Train with was Eric Roberts and John Voight. Uh, Runaway Train. Yeah, Eric Roberts, John Voight. Yeah. Um, T.K. Carter was also in that. I'm a big T.K. Carter fan. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. I've never actually seen Runaway Train and... Uh, it's kind of I am like John Voight these days. Oh yeah, no, totally. Um, but I mean, even Runaway Train wasn't that huge. No, I mean, not to say that Feds was huge, but like it wasn't well, until Backdraft, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, that Rebecca DuMornay was kind of like back in it. Yeah, I guess so. It was yeah, Backdraft. Uh, and then oh, she and then she did Three Musketeers. That was right. after Hand the Rocks. Cr- yeah. Hand the Rocks the Cradle is a good movie. You know, I haven't watched it in a long time. I need to. I need to do that again. It's a. Cr- yeah, it's I need a to do that movie. again. I need to watch that. But again. yeah, so um, uh, uh, the Slugger's Wife. See, I don't know that, that was, one. That was another one. Yeah, that was. It was in uh, uh, Neil, Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Hey. Yeah, Hal Ashby. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the, and there's Randy that, Quaid, then, yeah. Michael O'Keefe, Randy Quaid, interesting. But yeah, she didn't really, yeah, her career kind of, oh, right. And she played Wendy in the, like the miniseries version of The Shining that was, oh, more, really? It was more true to the, to the yeah. book. Like Wendy in, in the book is, is much more a Rebecca de Mornay than a Shelley Duvall. And she was also in Wedding Crashers. Right. Yes. Yeah. So she's she's been around. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like coming off of like starting your entire career essentially with risky business is kind of like a where do you go from there? Dan, your jaw is dropped. What's going on? Oh, yeah, no, because I'm looking, I'm, I'm on her Wikipedia page and um, I didn't know that she was uh, with Harry Dean Stanton really? at, at a certain point, like in the early 80s. Yes, Jiminy Glick. <laughs> really? really? Wonderful. Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> uh, I was uh, telling a friend about Jiminy Glick recently who did not know about this character and I, it was just like, oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because then you You're get like, to dig up all the clips. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the best. But yeah, so no, Rebecca de Mornay. Uh, yeah, I guess this could have been uh, this could have been bigger for her. But yeah, I mean, she, this is a, a big starring role in. I, I feel like she was could already have been. big, like when Backdraft came around. And- yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I uh, I think that we've kind of talked enough about this movie. I mean, let's see. We've probably been talking about it for. Half of its running half time. Half of its running time. And uh, I think that Janet Maslin would, ap- would appreciate us moving along. <laughs> um, so, uh, Dan, given the opportunity or maybe being forced at gunpoint to do something with this movie, what would you do? Well, let's see. So, first of all, let's acknowledge that the end of it does set it up for a sequel <laughs> because they get their assignments and... Janice and uh, DeWitt both uh, get assigned to Los Angeles. So uh, which would then make it, you know, more plausible that that half of the scenes look like they are being shot in Los Angeles. Right. So by half, I mean all. Um, uh, I would not go with a sequel. I would go with a, a straight up remake. And uh, I don't know if I would potentially set it like in the 80s. I I feel like that kind of makes more sense. Not that uh, like sexism and misogyny is a is a forgotten thing of the Mm -hmm. past. But I I feel like filming it and maybe showing it as maybe setting it up as more of an action comedy and setting it up as... um, you know, kind of that, that, like, you know, the 1980s were still a time when, uh, you know, the 1980s were a time when women in law enforcement was, were even more, like, challenged and, and fewer and farther apart. And how these two are going to, like, you know, shatter the glass ceiling. And that's the part in the trailer where you cut to them, like, crashing through a glass a ceiling. Glass, yeah. A plate glass ceiling. Well, they did um, They did bust through a, a window. The window. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but kind of setting it up like them, uh, setting it up like that, almost as a, uh, like, like more of a nine to five uh-huh. type of movie yeah and uh i i was just thinking of some i was thinking i was like ah oh, who would i like to see in a in a kind of looser remake of this i thought beanie feldstein <laughs> would be magnificent uh, uh you know i'm i i don't think it would need to be a straight up remake where you would have a zuckerman and and yeah do it specifically so i just thought like let's take that whole odd couple uh, buddy cop idea and and pair them up and I just I remember I think about Booksmart which was yeah. 
you know, which kind of relied on that same chemistry. And I think about I, I think about comedy and I think about what a movie like this needs. And that was uh, that was who came to mind for this. Okay. A, Be- a Beanie Feldstein starring. We like Beanie Feldstein. A feds, a loose feds remake. I, I really don't see any point in keeping much from the original. Like, not even the names. No, yeah. I, I mean, even the moments that are memorable, and I say that, like, with all of the air quotes in the world, is that. Uh, you know, it's like them stomping the feet and kicking in the balls and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, I feel like we're past that. I feel like, you know, that's a that's kind of just reinforcing the the weak woman stereotype, because yeah. like you also have the character of of Howard Butts. And it's like he doesn't look like the strongest guy in the world. He's struggling when they're doing pull ups at the beginning. Like, how come we don't see him struggling trying to handcuff somebody? So anyway, So you would do a spinoff about Howard Butts? Yes, I would. Here's how it would go. So as we know at the very end, Howard Butts is sent to Duluth. Dan, what prestige television series could possibly take place in Duluth? Hmm, I don't know. Could it be Fargo? That's right. So... We we tie the Fargo and and Feds universes together by having a a Howard and uh you know FBI field office director Howard Butts involved in a Fargo storyline, and that's that's great, and that would probably like that could like take place around 1990. I don't think they've done a season around that. You know, they jump around in time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they haven't done a like late 80s early 90s. Yeah, see 70s. Yeah, they I I Four, like 40s, 1950 yeah. or 40. Uh but yeah, I mean that's honestly Dan, I am so glad that you you teed things up with <laughs> the I Howard Butts spin I had no How surprised was I when you just picked that up <laughs> well, and ran with it well, there? Well, but but that's the thing is it's like, first of all, for anybody who listens to this podcast with any type of regularity, you know that we are big time appreciators of the television series Fargo. The exception to the rule that like taking a Coen Brothers or any type of like, you know, auteur based movie and translating it to the to television, you know, that just doesn't work except for Fargo. And they made it. They made they they, made it work. they figured Noah Howley figured it out, and I don't know what any plans are for future seasons of that show. But all I'm going to say is, get your asses in Duluth, get Howard Butts in there to be their <laughs> kind of like FBI contact, uh, and and tie these universes together. And who would you have play Howard Butts? Ooh, that's a good question. I guess it really depends on what era you're going for i don't think that howard butts would be the central character but uh you know would certainly be somebody who would make an appearance um yeah i mean kind of let's see wiry you know skinny sharp like you know, noticeable features i'm trying to think like what about paul Shear? Eh, i don't think so no because no. no, paul Shear, i feel like has such a distinctive look 
that he needs to just be his own different character. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, I really don't know. I am actually, you know, I, I think about this person when I think about Mary Gross, but I'd love to see, oh, I know exactly who would be Howard Butts. Neil Campbell. Neil Campbell is a, uh, he's a, he's a writer. He writes, he's, I think one of the, uh, head writers for like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or, or was, and has also made appearances and things. But, uh, one of his like old partners in sketch comedy was the person I think of a lot of when I think of Mary Gross, who's Paul Rust. And I feel like you're, you're nodding at me and I'm assuming you're looking at a picture of Neil Campbell. Yes. Yeah. yeah he, he could works. pull it off. He works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The like blonde. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You see what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, so that very, would be, very funny guy. So that would be a, that would be a great uh, that's off season the, of, that's off the top of the dome. I, and I'm not saying that Howard Butts would be the central character. I'm saying that there, this is, the the next step of like the Howard Butts storyline, but would he be kind of seen like, from kind some of like, from other perspectives, kind of like the uh, the Oliphant character in in the uh, in the last season. Kind or, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, and also it would be kind of great if like he he goes to um, to Duluth and like immediately gets killed or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's like I just need to consult with some of my uh, my friends over in the L.A. office. <laughs> Um, and then he gets then good. he gets killed. That'd be good. All right. <laughs> no. Poor well, Howard Butts. Dan, I, yes. as we've been telling people uh, this year, what we're doing is we are not putting in our show notes what the next episode is going to be. We are trying to pepper in the title of our next movie into the body of the show. And I was able to get one in. This would I totally forgot. I totally forgot to do it, and it would have been so... It's a hard one to get in there. Really, is it? Because I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of points that we could have made, and I'm thinking about uh, now something that you said earlier. Something that I said earlier. point, and um, <laughs> I don't know where we got the other part well let's dan uh, let's just it, let's just break right into the we just take a break no we're not taking a break but let's just break right into you telling everybody what we're going to be covering on the next episode yes on our next episode the fbi is going to pay us to learn how to surf it's point break we will uh we will dive into the 1991 Catherine Bigelow directed classic yeah. starring Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, and Laurie Petty. Uh, and p- perhaps uh, I may delve for the first time into the 2015 remake. Oof. Uh, I, I'll, I'm going to save my thoughts on the remake uh, yeah. for, for the next episode. Um, but yeah, uh, Dan, as you are... Uh, chasing some bank robbers down the streets of, and I say this in quotes, the DC area. I, uh, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Here we go.
Silver 